1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Pride and today joined by Dave Prentice and Gav Buckler, as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And of course, the season has resumed. The Blues have got two games under their belts and four points. So, we will be reflecting on the first win of the restart, a 1 0 victory at Norwich, uh, and discussing. Carlo Ancelotti's remaining target, he seems confident that Europa League is still a possibility. We'll talk Dan Mice, who is, quote, not currently engaged with the Bramley new stadium project. We'll discuss the fallout from that. Football Club also confirming this week some departure, uh, departures from the first-team squad, who many asked Cuco Martina among them. And we will discuss that and, of course, the ongoing uh, contractual issue with Leighton Baines. Um let's start with Wednesday night, um, look, football's not not the same, it's, it's in many levels deeply uninspiring Preno but it, it would appear so far that Carlo and, and, and the players are making the best of a uh, particularly bad situation.
2: Yeah, I mean it won't take as long to, uh, to analyse and sum up what happened in that game uh, but Everton won another clean sheet, um, some good performances, some not so good but the bottom line is you know, so Everton did what they had to do. Um, Ancelotti got a team set up, you know, so to be difficult to beat again while going forward, and you know, did it all quite effectively. It's quite reassuring to see Everson scoring from set pieces for a change, um, you know, rather than conceding from them. And I think I saw a stat saying that we've actually scored more goals from set pieces than any anybody else in the Premier League this season, which uh, surprised me, I have to say. Uh, but all in all yeah it, it was quite refreshing uh, to you know so see such a solid and such a disciplined return to football it's different we know it's different of course it is because of the circumstances and because of the um the lack of a crowd and we also spoke before the match how i feared that you know the proximity of the derby match and the norwich game might lead to everything being a bit leg weary and obviously it didn't help that it was nearly 30 degrees down in uh, east anglia at the time but all in all got the job done that's all you can uh, you know ask for in circumstances like that. So, you know, we move on to the next one now. Gav, yeah, I mean
1: just, just a word on on the fitness and the conditioning of the players. I think there was some concern, understandably as well, that we hadn't had a um friendly against external opposition. Um we just played that inter squad uh sixty minutes at Goodison. But Carlo had said, you know, he, he was all about judging the condition and the fitness of his players and he didn't think he was right. So he's he's been vindicated in that respect because you know, to come through, as Preno says. Two tough games in, in what four days, and um, without injury as well, with additional injury that you know that's a real tick in the box.
0: It is. Uh, I said, I think a couple of weeks ago, that you'd find out in this period who the really good managers were they knew what they were doing and you know could you know have a strategy for coping with the, the unenforced break. And uh, you seen that with Carlo, you know, he's, he's used his experience of you know 20 odd years of management, you know, and you know, 40 years as a player, as manager. And he has been vindicated in the results as much as anything else. Um, and yeah, so I've, I, I don't think I said at the time that a friendly was that important. And and the players looked fit. I thought they looked fit at the end of the, in the derby, to be honest with you. And uh, I've ne- never really felt in either game that we were we were struggling fitness wise, which is which is good.
1: And Prenum Michael Keane was the uh, the match winner. Should he be doing more of that? Should he be should he be on the score sheet more often than he is?
2: Yeah, I think possibly he should. Um, you know, we saw the couple of goals he scored in like that trial practice match, and I think we said at the time, don't get used to it because he hasn't shown, you know, so any uh, propensity for you know so scoring regularly in games. But clearly, he's a threat aerially. You know, so he does time, his runs into the box, but he does get on the end of them. And that was a great finish. You know, so tucked away just inside the post. Uh, So, yeah, maybe he should be doing that a little bit more. Sometimes it's a confidence thing, isn't it? You know, so you just like, you know, you score one, you think, hey, I can do this, and you try and get yourself in those positions again, and uh, it becomes like a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy then. So having done it on that occasion, yeah, he should be, confident enough to put himself in those positions again and you know so make those runs into the box and try and score a few more because you know you can't rely entirely on calvert lewin and Richarlison to you know score goals for you all season we've shown this season with the Sigurdsson goals taken out of the equation that if one of the regular goal scorers goes missing you can struggle so you need to spread the goals around the squad as much as you possibly can you know the very best Everson teams did that so well so yeah, you know certainly you know the fullbacks have got to start contributing a little bit more and have the centre back. So yeah, Michael Keane did you know sort of take it very very well, and he should be looking to do it more. I agree. Gav, I
1: know you're not necessarily a fan of um, using assists stats as as a, as a barometer, <laughs> yeah. um, but but Luca Dean now has six Premier League uh, assists this season. Yeah. Obviously, it was his corner for Michael, for Michael Keane's winner. Is Dean having a good season or a bad season? Because it seems like it's a, um, it's a it's a debate match by match debate amongst Evertonians about Dean's season. I think everybody accepts he had an excellent, you know, a truly excellent first season. But the season there seems to be quite a lot of debate about if he's having a good season this season. I think he is having a good season, not at the levels of last season, but still very good.
0: Well, I don't think he's had a bad season or a or a modest season. I think he's had the um you know had the high standards to live up to from last year, hasn't he? Um maybe maybe um four backs, the full back one of the reasons is I think it's one of the foot the fullback's role in a four four two and a four three three is different, isn't it? So you've got to adapt. In four three three you've probably got to bomb on a little bit more in four four two. You've got to, you've already got a wide player playing in front of you, haven't you, you know, so um, mm-hmm. you've, play, he's playing in a different team under Carlo, and, and there was few games. But I don't think that helps. Um, yeah, but he's been he's been okay. I don't, I don't think defensively. You, I'm trying to think. Obviously, we have got a long period of time to think over in terms of this season. But I can't remember coming away thinking oh he was really poor. Maybe he's just not had them sort of Hollywood moments that he maybe had uh, had last season. You know. Um, but he's he's been okay. He's been okay. I um, I've not not. Re- you put it this way, he's not been our problem this season. He's not been a major problem for us this season compared to some other areas of uh, of, of improvement that's needed elsewhere in the
2: team. Any yeah, yeah, thoughts I'd... on Dean's season? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think he's he struggled to live up to the initial expectation because he was so good uh, last season. But he's been steady. You know, he's uh, I can't think of any major problems we've had with him. Um, it's just—it's very, very difficult, I suppose. Second season syndrome, would you call it? Maybe uh, to you know live up to the promise that he showed in that opening campaign. Uh, but like Gav said, yeah, there have been you know so sort of far more pressing issues elsewhere in the side. He's been okay, but we know we can get more from him. So hopefully. Yeah, you know, so once whenever this season finishes and whenever next season starts, after he's had like a, a decent break, we'll see him refreshed and revived and ready to go. And what would help also is having a consistent partner down that side, because you know, so saying, clearly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. clearly you know they've chopped and changed so much uh, throughout the season. You know, we still don't know. You know, so who his most natural left-sided you know so partner you know would be. I mean, there are a couple of signs that him and Anthony Gordon linked up quite well in you know, the derby match on the occasions that you know we, we saw them together. Maybe that could be one for the future. That would help certainly, you know, some degree of consistency in front of them.
1: Gab, just going back to to the first two games generally, uh, and you know, you you said this was this would see show us, you know, the good managers and and their expertise coming to the fore, and and I, I totally agree with you there. I think I think Carlo's been been spot on, hasn't he? But do you also think that? With the best will in the world, as as a squad, we're not blessed with pace, and we haven't been blessed with pace for a number of seasons. Yeah, we've got we've got quick players, but as a whole, we're not a particularly quick squad. Do you think that the pace of the restart has actually worked significantly in our favour in that regard?
0: Well, it's become a more technical and
1: tactical. I, yeah, because it's got driving. that pre-season vibe and.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fennel said that, didn't you, before the derby, Dave, didn't you? that You felt the derby was had more of a feel but the first game of the season. Yeah. Uh, feel to it rather than sort of like, you know, the 20th, whatever it is, the 30th game of the season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, not, the heat, the whole, whole host of things has, has worked in, in the favour of somebody who's tactically very cute, knows how to set up a team and, and, and will play in a disciplined fashion. Um, and, and I think Carlo's really benefited by, um, and as, as the players have had uh, a, a plenty, uh, you know, plenty of time with the players, you know, compared to what he would have done, saying you say, know, saying March. So I, I think a, a lot of things have gone in his favour, uh, to be honest with you. And, and in the first two games, we looked really well organised. I'm trying to think about a major chance that we've conceded in that time. I mean, uh, we've not really... You know, we've not really been set defensively, even though
1: we were playing Liverpool last um, last Sunday. So yeah, I agree with that. Um before the game on Wednesday and after the game on Wednesday, of course, Carlo um and a number of the players um repeated their belief that Europa League has to still be a target, um and that it you know it remains uh, something that can be achieved this season.
2: Do you think we're realistically in the mix? No, nah, no chance. I understand why they're saying it. You know, psychologically, you've got to dangle that carrot. You've got to give yourself something to aim for, and no matter how remote that possibility, you know, looks like, you've got to still believe. You've got to keep pushing and keep trying. Otherwise, you will just be going through the motions, and you will be playing effectively, you know, so friendly matches between now and the end of the season. But realistically, looking at the challenge we've got to make up. And The fixtures that we have left, it looks like a really big long shot. We don't know, do we, that, you know, if the Manchester City uh, decision goes against them and, you know, an extra place is knocked down the Premier League, possibly again. But no, I go, I go back to those three fixtures that we only took one point from Man United, Arsenal, and Chelsea. We needed to pick up more from those games to have given ourselves a, a proper opportunity. That doesn't mean there's nothing to play for. It means that you've still got, to, you know, make a point to the manager you've got to prove that you deserve a future at the football club under him and you've got to show the watching public at large on television or however you're watching the games um, you know that there's something to look forward to for next season and we can still do that you know the Leicester game next week they just seem to have Hit the wall a little bit leicester uh, so you know an opportunity there may be to you know get three points and if we can wow you know so two wins and a draw from the three games back we'd have taken that all day long maybe i'll be speaking differently again then about europe well you know for the time for the time being no i think it's a long shot personally
1: Gavin, what's your thoughts on our chances of uh of sneaking into the back door for for europa league
0: um i think a said earlier on the week when this was brought up that it's all right like being four or five points behind and you're you're sort of eight in the table or something it's a different thing where you're in the mid-table and you've got four or five teams between you and the european places not only are you you know um allowing for the team in six or seven to, to tank over the last eight games you're also relying on three or four other teams to tank in the last uh, seven or eight games so i don't think that's going to happen uh we've still got some tough sort of fixes left ourselves, even not, notwithstanding the Leicester game next week. Uh and I, I think it's a very, very long, you know, very much a long shot at this stage.
1: Um just just sticking with with the gate the two games we've seen so far. Um I'm gonna ask you both, uh, which player
2: has impressed you the most? can i start with you. Oh, good question. Um, It'd be easy to say which players have disappointed me the most. Well, uh, that's the that's the follow up. I'll come on to that. (laughs) Um, Players have impressed me. I mean, Richarlison was great against Liverpool and looked absolutely knackered against Norwich. Um, Calvert-Lewin, I I would say, Uh, Calvert-Lewin has looked more and more like a centre forward of substance and of presence. Um, You know, he looked like he'd you know sort of finally got over that inability to score goals uh, before the lockdown and started scoring quite you know regularly that's let him down a little bit you know so in the last two games he had half chances maybe against Norwich, maybe slightly better than half chances with the header at the far post uh, and once or twice maybe his decision making was a little bit awry uh, you know he went for a shot on goal but maybe he could have played somebody in but overall he's, he's impressed me enormously uh, he's a young man. Who's improved massively over the last like 12, 18 months. And he looks like a centre forward now that you can rely on, that you can trust, and that you want to see in the starting lineup. No question marks at all against him. There's things he can do better, certainly. Like I say, decision making, you know, so sort of maybe, you know, so sort of one or two, you know, so sort of finishing issues. Uh, but no, overall, uh, really, really impressed with the lad. And I said years ago, uh, I think when he, played against was it stoke city at right wing back on that opening day for dr <laughs> ronald cooman bizarrely he reminded me that day of quite a young graham sharp uh just in terms of his mobility and his stature and stuff and there are still elements of sharpie's game now that we you know that i can like link to dominic car Lewin. so yeah out of everybody in the squad he's the one player i think who's hit the ground running.
1: him gav who's, who's impressed you the most in the two game
2: um
0: Yes, shout out for calvert I'd agree there. I think Michael Keane is obviously somebody who's had a lot of um, yeah. publicity this week. Um, probably much needed, to I said last week. You know, we were talking about players with benefits uh, appearing behind closed doors and not in front of the crowds. And I said that, I suspect Michael Keane is certainly in that uh, in that category. Uh, and uh, I'm not saying that's the reason why he has performed well in the two games. Uh, but he, he certainly looks a different player since he's come back. Far more assured, far more solid, benefiting perhaps by affirmation as as his partner, uh, and he's as well and as well as, as helps to score. I, I would say, and, and I think there's quite a lot of evidence forces who said that, which is good, good for his confidence, isn't it? I think he's a player to me who probably he appears to be an arm around the shoulder guy, doesn't he? Uh, and this would have done the world to go to think these two games this week.
2: Yeah, any, any of. Object- just got to a little shout out for Alex Iwobi as well who got you know pelters for his derby match performance which was harsh given the fact that everything he had to do was more defensively minded and he came out and showed a lot more of what he can do you know in a forward position against Norwich City so a long way to go admittedly and consistency is going to be the big issue there but you know certainly gave a little glimpse perhaps of you know so what we hope to see from him and what we want to see more of from him going forward any objection to me throwing uh, Sigurdson's name in there Again, I (laughs) I, 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 I was going to mention him yourself, to be fair. Um, Yeah, he's looked very, very bright, the two games he's played. He's just not a central midfielder, but we've looked better in central midfield when he's come on. And we'll move on to that, no doubt, because that's been the big disappointment, the performances of the two guys in that position. But, you know, whenever he's come on in games, he has shown a gilding of quality, and uh, our performances have improved as a result. I'm a fan, and I've said it many times before, uh, but no, I wouldn't argue with you at all there, Phil. I think he's done well. And and
1: and not to be you know not to uh, praise him with one hand and and criticize with the other, but I do wonder, Gav, for you know just going back to what I'd asked you before about the pace of the games, I just wonder the pace of the of the game so far actually suits Sigurdsson when he comes on because we all know his ability with the football and we all know his ability to pick passes, and if the game isn't a million miles an hour, it's not bypassing him in in midfield as much. He's got more time to control the game. I just think. I think, you know, of all the players that's come back, it looks like it suited him, um, particularly in a central midfield role anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, we've got maybe got a little bit more time on the ball than normal, a little bit more space to play into. And that, that's more his game, isn't it? You know, going back to what we said before, it's a game, it's a game now at this stage of the, the year, uh, which is a more tactical uh, game is no more focused game I mean something you know something about Carlo Ancelotti something that you would probably see in Serie A you know uh, that mate Ben Carlo was make, you know, making his name as a manager and a player that that type of uh, that type of match maybe not pretty to watch but there's lots of stuff to that you don't realise you're watching you know that, that mm. that's actually well planned out and, um, and that's maybe why teams have tended to cancel each other out in, in a lot of the games I've seen um so yeah, yeah, and Sigason is one who's definitely benefited from it. I think, you know, what what I want to see is um, you know, from the first two games is a bit different, maybe got a chance against Leicester's just to be on the front a little bit more.
1: Right. You
0: no, know, and uh, you know, to to try and even on some even on two uh Wednesday, you know, you felt that we were sort of sitting first half, drafting a little bit more, we were far more assertive in the second half and look far better for it. And I would uh, certainly like to see that in our last six, you know, last six or seven matches, especially as we still have that like small carrot of Europe to try and uh, to, to try and get.
1: Um, Prender, I, I guess from what you were alluding to, therefore, that uh, your, your disappointments have been, have been in central midfield. So you would uh, very much would like to see from Leicester onwards better performances from uh, Andre Gomez and Tom Davis.
2: One hundred percent. Yeah, um, you know they, they've been asked to carry. Uh, the, the, the mantle, if you like, with uh, with Fabian Delft being unavailable and Morgan Schneidlin moving on, and it was an opportunity for both of them in different ways. I mean, Andre Gomez, we know what kind of quality he has, and it was an opportunity to show that he could hit the ground running. And he was back after his you know, sort of injury, eyes. and he hasn't. You know, he's uh, what well, you're know, a handful of, you know, some sort of moments, but th- that's it really. Uh, we just know he can do so much more, and he can dominate games so much more. I'm hoping that having played two games in such close proximity his sharpness will be much more improved against Leicester and the way Leicester play as well you know so we'll hopefully give him a little bit more space in which to uh, you know sort of pick passes and so on but we know he can do so much more and he hasn't and Tom Davis you know you, you feel hard being critical um, you know so such a young lad but he's been around as the, the tv commentary said uh, in midweek he seems to have been around forever And, you know, it's a long time, you know, since he made that breakthrough in the last match of whatever season it was against Norwich. and He's had plenty of, you know, uh, first-team exposure since then. And we'd hope to see a little bit more quality from him. I mean, some of the balls he gave away in dangerous positions were very disappointing. I mean, the only problems that Norwich created were really of Everton's making. And, you know, a couple of them came as a result of sloppiness uh, from Tom's behalf. And I get the fact that, you know, again, you know, he played against Liverpool. It was only a quick turnaround and it was, you know, hot temperatures. But this is Premier League football. It's an unforgiving environment. And I wanted to see so much better from the pair of them. I mean, they're likely to have to play again against Leicester City, but they've had a longer break this time. Fingers crossed, they can improve and can show something a bit more for, for us. Otherwise, maybe Sigurs not be given a chance. I don't know. He's earned it. He certainly has deserved it, and I wouldn't be at all against taking you know, sort of one or the other out and replacing him with Sigerson for that game.
1: Gav, uh, which player or players have, have disappointed you most in the first two games? Uh, so, uh, I
0: don't think Moyes did himself any favours when he came on as <laughs> substitute. That'd be the first yeah. thing I'd say. I think, yeah, you've got you've got to look at the midfield, haven't you, really, which has been our weak weak spots across both games, albeit probably for different reasons. Um to me it's about the midfield's about balance, isn't it? And I don't think when I think the problem we've got really is Gomez is probably at his best when he's playing in the midfield today, isn't he? I think a two doesn't really suit him. Um because it means he's gotta play a little bit deeper. Uh, which is not necessarily his game, because he's not really a defensive midfielder. And it means he can't probably influence the game further up the pitch. And I think I think not only is it a problem personnel in the middle part and their form at the moment, it, it's actually the balance in midfield in itself. It, it's very difficult in a 4-4-2 to get the right balance. And I'm not sure whether it's there at the moment with Gomez and, and Tom, because neither of them are natural defensive midfielders. Um Andre isn't really going to get, you know, he's top about lack of pace. Andre is not going to go straight up the pitch, uh, 100 miles an hour. And, and I think the 4-4-2, which Carlos always used, does, you know, it does sort of go against Andre a bit. And I, I don't think he's affected, you know. And you know, I, you know, Phil, since he joined the club, I've been quite uh, not critical of Andre. That I don't really see, don't really see what people go on about with him. For and and uh, that that those doubts are still there. He needs to affect the game a lot more. He's got undoubted technical ability and vision, but he doesn't affect the game and take games by the scruff of the neck, which he which he should be doing. He, he, you know, he, he doesn't take risks. You know, he should be should be a little bit more confident in his passing. You know, a little bit more penetrative. So he plays a little bit too safe for me. Uh and, and he should be he should be offering a lot more from an offensive point of view than what he has been doing in the two games so far.
1: Do you think we have to have there's some mitigation, we have to have some understanding that of course, you know, this isn't just him returning from an enforced break, he was only just yeah. coming back from a serious injury, of course, wasn't he? So uh,
0: absolutely absolutely. You know, and um, though I did say that before he, he got injured and he's and he's coming back from a break, from like not playing for three months, so was fitness and and the sort of momentum that you need is not there but that's to me it's not not really the issue it's just you know you know using your ability to far more to affect the game uh, than what he's been doing um and and so it's that midfield really i don't think they've been particularly bad but they've not been you know, we've had no problems with the defense jordan Pickford's looked solid in both games to be fair we out to Jordan. To be honest, but yeah um and off front, we've been we've been mobile and posed at a limited threat. I think most people I've spoken to this week have tended to be more about the midfield when they're talking about uh, talking about the uh, you know the performance of the team in these two matches.
1: The Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Moving on, um, before, during and and after the game, uh, the the other news of of the evening was, of course, regarding Evans' new stadium and Dan Mice, uh, who had tweeted that he was no longer currently engaged in the project uh, and that he had no longer had a role, uh, was among the biggest disappointments of his career.
2: Pran, what did you make of it? I think it, it took a lot of people by surprise, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, Everson have been very, very sure-footed throughout the entire, you know, sort of stadium project. But I just thought this could have been handled a little bit better, maybe. Uh, you know, so if it was something that was always part of the plan, uh, and there's no reason to disbelieve that, you know, so it was part of the, uh, the situation, I think it could have been maybe communicated a little bit better rather than Dan. You know, so putting a few uh, slighted, you know, sort of tweets out there and messages on social media, Clearly he was disappointed and, you know, he was a little bit upset that it wasn't, you know, so his company that was taking the project forward. And let's just say for, you know, that Everson always said that this was the plan, you know, so he provided the designs, they then put out a second tender for the construction, you know, phase. And it was always likely it was gonna be a UK based uh, company because they understand UK, you know, building regulations, you know, so much better. Uh, and the company that they've gone for have got a great reputation as well, you know, uh, you know done very, very great work in the past. But I just think uh, it, it could have been, you know, so maybe communicate to the supporters a little bit better. You know, so Dan clearly did have a bit of an axe to grind and it wasn't slower, you know, so putting it out there on social media. And I think maybe in hindsight, he might regret that a little bit. Um, but yeah, us by surprise. But let's also underline that in no way does this compromise the project as a whole, you know, so everything else is on target, you know, so everything else is still as it ought to be. Um, you know, the, the pandemic is going to cause a couple of financial issues, you'd imagine, in terms of, you know, so seeking investors and what have you. But, again, nothing to worry about on that score. So, yeah, just a, a minor blip that, you know, so arguably the first blip that we've had so far in the entire, you know, so sort of stadium project, which Everson have, Everson have handled very, very well up until this point.
1: Gav, have you got sympathy with Dan for, for his situation that he isn't um, taking architectural responsibility or full responsibility on that front uh through to completion and, and, and the construction or or do you are you sort of
0: confident the in the club's decision? I yeah I don't know the backstory to this. I, I presume Dan's experienced enough to know that actually so you know and i probably made clear to him that you know at some point there will be a change over the roles. Um I, I take Plano's points my, my view is actually I just thought it was I wouldn't say unprofessional, am by I appreciate his frustrations. I'm not sure whether it should have been brought out over over Twitter. There's ways of ways of doing things, isn't it? I'm not sure that that did sit right with me, uh, to be honest with you. Um I if the, though I can understand his frustrations. And as Penno was saying, it's minor blip. you know, i have been a red spreads what he said on Wednesday, I thought, you know, took a step back, but showing my complete lack of expertise in building 52,000 seats of stadiums. I then learned hmm. that obviously this is, uh, this is something that's not unusual and something to be expected to change over, uh, you know, and plus, you know, the design of the stadium can't change that much because obviously it's got to go through planning permission. Um, so you can't also the stadium and such after that. So uh, yeah, no no problems with me on, in terms of the, the methodology that's being used by Everton. Uh, I actually thought that maybe, as you say, Dan probably looks back now, maybe regrets a little bit. I didn't think it looked that, that professional, to be honest. But yeah, well, I can see why supporters are, were sort of agitated about it because Dan has shown himself, as all supporters like to be a great Evertonian and, you know, so-called getting the club, as we say. So there's an emotional attachment to him. Uh, that's not just about him being the architect of the stadium, I suppose. So I can understand why supporters were, were, were alarmed a little bit on, on Wednesday night uh, because of the emotional side, as I say.
2: That yeah, that was the disappointment for me as well because I mean, from what we've heard of Dan and you've spoken to him, Phil, I've spoken to him. Mm. He's he's an asset. I think you know his personality uh, comes across very very well, and clearly he has bought into Everton Football Club in a very big way. And the little touches around the stadium, you know, sort underline that. And you know, we are led to believe that he was offered, you know, so at a is it an advisory role or some kind of role, you know, so working, you know, so with the new architects. Of he didn't want that. You know, I think he wanted it to be his company and all or nothing, uh, which is a shame because you know he has showed already that he can bring an awful lot you know sort of to it just with his personality. But it's such a big project; it is so important to Everton Football Club that sometimes sentiment has to take a, a back step. It's a business decision, and you know it's you know so while you know so Dan wasn't happy with that, if it's for the good of Everton Football Club and it's for the good of the stadium going forward, reluctantly so be it. And and of course, Gav, just the last one on this.
1: N- nobody or the majority of people w- will ever look at the uh, Bradley Moore Dock and the new stadium when it's built and, and question and, and go, "Well, who designed it?" it you sure. know, it's, it's it's got Dan's fingerprints all over it, and everybody knows the input and the, uh, the 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 addition he will have have made to hopefully a long and successful history in that stadium.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like the old Archibald Leeds, isn't it? A, a Goldson, you know. 90 years after the fact, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's standing and, um, that he's still mentioned now, so yeah, it'll always be, you know, the Dan May's design staging, won't that, it? That, that's true. And uh, I, I don't, but then things move on. So when we do get to the ground, we'll be looking at the ground, that would be the, the main, that would be the main focus then. Um, Dan will be there as, as the person who designed it. So, I think yeah, there will be, but you know things do move on as well. So we, uh, you know, we need to move needs to move on now. The project. So yeah, I've got no 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 real comments after after some you know initial worry when I saw the news on Wednesday.
1: Back on the pitch, uh, Pranl. Well, not necessarily on the pitch much. If you are Umanias and Cuco sure. Martina, uh, it was announced yesterday Thursday afternoon. As expected, uh, the pair of them will be released at the end of their contracts, which is on Tuesday. Um, had you any wonder, or did you have any suspicion, or or, or did you think for one moment maybe certainly in Kuko's case, he might get a short term extension to see to see him through to the end of the season? No, uh, no, not really. I mean, this is.
2: It's a big period for Everton to try and shift, and for want of a better phrase, the dead would. You know, so the players are earning significant sums of money and are preventing, you know, so real good quality players coming into the football club. An awful lot of players needed to be moved on. Morgan Schneidlin you know, started that, and uh, there was never any doubt in my mind that Umar Nias and Kuko Martina uh, would be two of them. Both very different, though. When we're talking about those two players, Kuko Martina cost nothing. Um, you know, his, his wages were, you know, were, were decent enough, uh, but he did okay, you know, so on occasions, uh, certainly not good enough for, you know, long term to be at Everson Football Club, but he did okay for, for small periods. Umar Nias, and I had this big, long debate on my uh, Twitter feed yesterday with a number of Evertonians. I uh, saw one Evertonian describe him as like the worst player he'd ever seen, you know, so in a royal blue shirt, and I found it difficult to disagree. Um, and I've seen some bad players during that time. Now, let's just put that into context. That is in terms of the money spent on him, in terms of the return we got. And then we scored a couple of goals here and there along the way. Uh, but I just think his overall quality uh, for a club like Everson Football Club was never, ever of the requisite standard. And to have cost as much money as he did, was it 13.5 million quid you know, for a player who... I think I described as being like a kitten playing with a ping-pong ball, you know, so sort of when he's trying to control the ball, it just left me baffled. It, it was a strange move. I mean, we already brought one player in from Russian football, uh, in Aidan McGee, which never really, you know, so sort of worked out. And we went down that road again, you know, so sort of with Umar the ass. And it, it, it was five years he was at the club for, is that right? He said, you know, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, no, it was, a, it, it was a mistake and it was an expensive mistake. And I'm glad that we've now finally, you know, sort of seeing the end of it, and we can try and bring in, you know, sort of better quality. Sorry if that sounds a bit harsh, but you know, it's uh, football can be uh, an, an unforgiving environment. Gav,
1: what what did Roberto see in Numa in trying to, you know, in trying to, you know, we, we appreciate that it's been a bit of a nightmare by, but yeah, you know, yeah, you know. In, in defence of the lad, if we can produce one, what what would Roberto have seen that convinced him he was worth that money?
0: Uh, well, only Roberto will tell you that, but I think he had a decent scoring record in Russia, didn't
2: he? He did, but there he not any single goals, weren't he? There weren't like any twos or threes, yeah. I can remember. But no, yeah, I, I, I
0: can't remember, you know, as you say, it's that long ago now, it's four and a half, five years, so I can't remember the exact stats, but there was some, some. you know, there was there was... Uh, you know, it was a decent effort in in, in in Russia. 30 million. It's not exactly, you know, it's not 30 or 40 million. My, my, my impression of him is that, if you remember, he had, he had that, remember he joined, he had a problem with it on his wrist where he couldn't yeah. play for about six or eight weeks, I think. And you're thinking, why can't a player play, you know, with just a cast round, his wrist. You know, it just yeah. seemed a bit odd. Um, I like, I like Kevin Richardson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Kevin scored in League Cup semi-finals with,
2: with the you know with the bandage on his wrist. handled one off the line with a bandage on his wrist. Yeah, yeah.
0: True. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I thought we were going to get Reto at some point today, <laughs> but, I know, you know. Yeah. but it just seemed odd. And that well, why we can't kind of, he? Their their close season wasn't he? where they have the the clothes down for the winter, so he obviously wasn't fit. And I remember when he came on his first game. And as you say, Plano, that kicking that with a wall ball is just, yeah. you know, just, it's just totally uh, accurate. He just never looked um, you know, at any point as if he knew what he was doing exactly. Um, having said that, though, he did, if you have a look at his goals record, I think, it, I can't remember, it was a 17, 18. His goals per minute record was quite high. He bailed mm. us out a couple of times, I think. Was it the Blomath game at home? Yeah. Where he, he won? yeah. I think he may have come on a sub and turned the game. He scored some future goals elsewhere. So there was, he wasn't totally, you know, he wasn't like a, dare I say, Brett Angel know. Um He did actually score goals. He did score some useful goals. But he just he just never got the impression that he was anything, anything special. I'm not sure he's the worst player I've seen. Uh, no. But but, but when you waited by the fee that we paid and compare the two, in terms of value for money, he's, he's way down, way down. No,
2: I mean, he, he he was a loose cannon. You think of some of the goals he scored. And there weren't many considered calculated finishes. I mean, there was one yeah. I remember in the League Cup side down the street and, you know, when he was finally brought back into the fold by Ronald Koeman and he brought one down in his chest and scored with the outside of his foot. That's the only one I think I can actually remember where it wasn't yeah. bouncing in off his knee or his shin or... You know, so ever was, and that—that that was modern football, Premier League football at the highest level. You've got to be so controlled and so aware, and your touch has got to be so good. And his wasn't. I mean, the Newcastle yeah. game this season—you know—he he came on, and you know, it was just like chaos reigns suddenly when he came on. Yeah. And you know, that seemed to be the case all throughout his career. And you can't really build a career in the Premier League around being a loose cannon. You know. Because, OK, the opposition don't know what you're going to do, but neither do your teammates as well. And you've got to be a little bit better than that uh, to to make it, you know, to survive and to succeed in the Premier League. And I know fans had a, a lot of sympathy for him because of the manner in which he was treated by Ronald Koeman, which was ruthless in the extreme. But that is modern football. And people, you know, just out of human nature, felt a little bit sorry for the lad. And then they saw him sitting in the away section at Old Trafford, which was quite cute on his behalf. And that got him, like, a little bit of a kudos as well. But bottom line is, you know, so you've got to be a good footballer, and, and he he wasn't. I'm afraid, or certainly not to the quality required to be a success in the Premier League. I know he went away on loan and did okay for Marco Silva, you know, a whole City, okay. You know, so being the uh, you know, under, not nothing more than that. But no, it was uh, it it was just an error from the yeah. start to finish, and you know, it, it it's over now, and we can look forward and move forward.
0: Yeah, some well, tough sort of sorry, fell. Some the last season at Goodison, wasn't it? Which was a bit chaotic all round. Yeah. Uh, my main, my main memory of, of me asked will be on the pitch. I think it might have been Watford when we won three two or Arsenal where he took the took the ball around the keeper, the Gladysy sent and still, scored, but he just sort of still managed to nearly miss. You know, and no point between take the ball around the keeper and the goal line. Did he have the ball that under any sort of control? You know. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with Plano um, with that. And it was it was a, a symptomatic of Martínez's master's last season where he just basically I think he had lost control of things.
1: I mean, it is perhaps or what does it tell us though, Gav? That he did actually feature under five different permanent managers, <laughs> I think, didn't he? Um, Umar, you know, he, he played some games for all the managers, um, and the, I look back at a piece we wrote, um, during, during the Allardyce's reign, in the early part of Allardyce taking over. And at one point, Allardyce went on record as saying that Umar was the first choice centre forward at Everton at that point. Oh dear.
2: I'm glad I've forgotten uh, that.
0: <laughs> I, I think that probably says more about Allardyce really than, than <laughs> Umar, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think we maybe had that choice at the time. Um, yeah, I can, you know, can, you can see, his goals record is actually not that bad. You know, his goals per minute. look It's just that lack of quality and weighing in the, the, the fee as well. I mean, we can't say more than that. I, I, he, he would ne- he'd never be first choice in, a, in any of the time I can remember him. I think he played for five different managers, more reflection sometimes of our lack of options up, up front yeah. Until, yeah. until Dominic has settled in as, as first choice striker. We brought with Charleston. Just trying to think for, for three, maybe two or three years from sixteen to to, to you know, eighteen or two years. Yeah. yeah, those two years we didn't really have a lot. I mean we bought 10, didn't we? Seventeen, eighteen, and he took time to settle. So we uh and a Valencia played, didn't he? Hmm. wrongs last season. Um, so those two years it was a bit bit uh, bit hit and miss for him. We
2: I think it's funny, actually, you actually started that, Phil, by saying, you know, Kuko Martino and Umanias, and we've spent 90% of the time talking about Umanias, which underlines what a character he is, what personality he's got, and maybe, you know, so sort of what, what he occasionally contributed. Kuko Martino is probably the steadier player out of the two, yet we've only, you know, sort of barely mentioned him. So, you know, strikers, you know, so you do have uh, an affinity or you're always harder on strikers. Dennis he was another one that will always figure in those, um, you know, was he the worst ever kind of, you know, sort of arguments. And I had a, a, a lot of time for Dennis Stracqualursi. You know, his his enthusiasm and his commitment was second to none. His quality was nowhere near good enough. We know that, but again, he scored a couple of goals. You know, so in his time here, and it's quite fondly remembered as a result. And I suspect you're the ass in time, bit of a you purity kind of thing. But yeah, I think he probably will be fondly remembered in a. In a strange kind of way,
1: <laughs> indeed. Um, okay, moving off from our uh, final final part of today's pod before we before we wrap up, um, Leighton Baines has agreed a short term deal to see him through to the end of the season, but the offer of a new one year deal remains on the table. But the club have not had a decision yet. Um, Gav, are you confident he will sign? Have you got any concerns about? This delay, um, you know, Carlo only going as far as to say that he's hopeful, um, but wouldn't say anymore.
0: Uh I have concerns, yeah. Um, because if he doesn't sign it means that we may have to enter the market for a for, for the for you know for the role that perhaps we weren't we we, we weren't aiming to and we got better you know more better priorities more to look at. Um it's like it's me as if Leighton's looking at his options really, obviously. Um it's not beyond the realms of possibility as a scenario, I'm not saying this is going to happen, where a team coming up from the Championship side would, could be an attractive proposition, maybe, maybe like months from game time rather than the money, um, and perhaps I think uh, that could be something that you know may be you know, attractive to them at this stage. But I am concerned because from a, from a, a tactical planning thing for the squad, it's something we can do without. Uh, to be honest, but yeah, but at the same time, Leighton, especially given his career, of course, has every right to to take his time over over this decision.
2: Yeah, it worries me. Um, you know, the fact that he hasn't made a decision instantly suggests that either he has doubts about uh, wanting to extend his his football career further, or maybe he's not particularly happy with the terms of the deal. I don't know. Is it a pay as you play thing? In which case, he hasn't been playing very often. Uh, I, I just don't know. But the fact that he hasn't uh, committed himself immediately does leave me a little bit concerned. We've spoken many times before on here what he can bring to the squad on and off the pitch in terms of his professionalism and his leadership qualities and his personality. And that would leave a big gap in the squad. Having lost Phil Jagielka you know, so soon, losing him as well, that would leave really Seamus Coleman as the only like, you know, so long-standing uh, you know, so person with you know leadership qualities at the football club. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a concern, and you know I, I do hope that you know Carlo Ancelotti's optimism over this is justified. You know, so and he does commit to another year or so.
1: Um, Gav, just before we wrap up on Bainesy, I mean, look, just try to get into into the sort of playing uh, amateur psychologist. Do you think the situation globally and in terms of how it's it's, it's changing football and and as we look towards next season and, and there being no definitive guidance as it stands that it will change in look as to how it is now with lack of fans etc do you think that could be off-putting for somebody like Leighton that actually the, the appetite to go on another 12 months as second choice at left-back is actually um, is, is lessened significantly because of the way football will look potentially
0: in another words to pack in hmm that he'd retire and say well yeah. actually I can't really be bothered playing in front of you know unfilled stadiums five times a season for you yeah. know when I've had a long career uh, well well remunerated career yeah I could see that being an option especially as Penno Penno knows a bit better than me he, he's a guy who doesn't necessarily eat sleep football 24 hours a day it's well known that he's got a lot of, of, of incest music music music, music. You could see the bigger picture uh you, you can see maybe if he if he thinks actually it's not really worth me while being with evan and there's no other sort of outside incest that's attractive to me then um i'd be better off hanging my boots and pursuing other hobbies and stuff maybe 12 months before uh, before i was anticipating yeah i could, I could see that, that that being a you know a way of thinking
2: I, I can see that myself. Uh, like I say, it has got so many other interests outside of football. But football is such a drug. And uh, it, it reminds me in many respects of Andy Hinchcliffe and not just positionally that they play in the team. Andy was a, a very, very talented footballer who... Wasn't really in love with the game, you know, so it certainly wasn't somebody that you'd describe as a student of the game. And he had interests outside of football. He loved his literature. He loved his movies and stuff. And it, it always really took me by surprise uh, when he suddenly materialised as a pundit for Sky TV. I thought, where did that come from? And it's almost like, and Duncan Ferguson was another one as well. I mean, Joe Royal actually said to me many, many years ago about um, Duncan being somebody that was very, very talented, but not really in love with the game. Uh, yes, it's a drug gets inside you and, you know, you, you find it difficult to step back from it. Uh, and obviously Duncan's like a very successful coach at the football club now and seems to live, breathe, you know, sleep and drink, you know, so football. So maybe Leighton would find himself in the same boat if he did make that decision, whether he would come to regress it, you know, so a year or two down the line. You know, it, it's only one more season, you know, so I ideally hope he does sign us and does stick around just to give us, you know, so what one last, you know, so a little swan song, one last glimpse of the talent he's brought to that football club for so long.
1: Absolutely, here, here and we we do hope that uh, our collective concern is unfounded and the uh, latent uh, signs on the dotted line for another twelve months. Um, chaps, thank you very much for your company, excellent as always, uh, and thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back next week to preview the home game with Leicester City that's take place on July the first. So we will put again Monday uh, afternoon and uh, preview that game. So thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast.